Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to The Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Hello, this is Clark Ellis of Continuum Advisory Group, and welcome to the Built Revolution podcast. Uh, Today, uh, my guest is Arlen Solacek. Uh, he's an architect uh, by education and training, uh, but he's also worked on the owner's side for most of his career. And Arlen and I are going to talk today uh, about project delivery methods and delve into some of the experience and expertise and knowledge uh, and lessons that he's, that he's gained over his career of, uh, of working as an architect and then as, as an owner's rep. Uh, most recently retired as the Associate Vice Chancellor for Capital Planning at Maricopa Community College District in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Uh, which is one of the largest uh, community college districts in in the in the country. Um, so I'm going to uh, let uh, let Arlen uh, introduce himself here for a minute, and then we'll get started. So Arlen, welcome to the Built Revolution. Thanks very much, Clark. I'm really happy to participate. A um, little further information on me: um, I'm also was part of the American Institute of Architects Documents Committee. Um, writing and updating all those documents that people love to hate. Um, (laughs) They are the standard of the design industry. So I've spent 11 years on the committee, and during that time, I was task group chair for the 2017 uh, update of the A201 General Conditions, which is the flagship document for AIA. And then I was also task group co-chair for the 2019 updates for construction manager, constructor, which a lot of times is called CM at risk, mm-hmm. and then construction manager advisor. So I, I, I've got a pretty well-grounded field um, feel for the, the technical documents and the contracts, as well as having hands-on. Um, I'm also now part of AIA's advisory group for the project delivery knowledge committee. So you can pretty well guess I have a special interest and love for uh, project delivery methods and discussion. Fantastic. Well, um, uh, I'm looking forward to, to delving in here. And you know, the topic again is project delivery methods. And there's been a lot of discussion, research, and publishing you know, on the features and benefits and pitfalls of different different methods. So you, you mentioned CM at risk. Uh, you know, design build. Uh, design bid build, CM, uh, CM for fee, et cetera, um, we still see that a lot of projects uh, don't seem to be optimal, optimally matched with the project delivery method. Uh, or at the very least, the project delivery method is uh, one of the factors that may be preventing the projects from being as successful you know, as they should be. Uh, and so give, given your background and, and knowledge and experience, um, I, I, I'm really excited about kind of digging into those, these subjects with you. And, and maybe the, the best way to start, I think, before we go too far down the road is, is to get a good definition uh, you know, of, of project delivery methods and really maybe getting into why, you know, why they're called project delivery methods and, and kind of set that, set that baseline so that we have a context for, for, for our discussion. So maybe you can help us you know, by, by kind of starting to define uh, what project delivery methods are. Yeah, I will, Clark. And I think some of the current confusion is um, project delivery and project delivery methods, I think, is a phrase that's been around for a long time. 
And, you know, in the way that I'm used to using it really is how construction delivery is done as opposed to how the entire project is delivered. So I'll talk in terms of the construction delivery element of it. Right. And generally that's, Generally, that's related to the contractual process and relationships between the owner, the design team, and the contractor. Um, so for my use, there's generally about six broad types. There's traditional bid, which everybody seems to be pretty familiar with, with a direct contract from the owner to the architect and the contractor, and then the contractor bids on a full set of construction documents. Um, we have design build where a single team becomes responsible for both the design and construction of the project. Construction manager, constructor, or CM at risk, um, where an owner uh, retains direct contracts with both the design team and the contractor, but we're able to select the contractor very early in the project. And then the contractor advises the team during the design phase and then becomes responsible for the construction. Um, Construction manager advisor a lot of times is called multi-prime, where the owner again retains the design team directly, but has a series of direct-to-owner contractors, and all then are coordinated through another direct-to-owner party called the construction manager. Um, the construction manager in this case doesn't provide any of the construction. Um, job order contracting, which is more for small projects where a a pre-qualified contractor is called upon as necessary for a variety of generally smaller projects of all different mm -hmm. kinds. And then at the other end of the spectrum is integrated project delivery, where the owner, contractor, design team are all wrapped up often in a single contract to optimize project delivery. And you generally only see that on some of the largest, more complicated projects in the country. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of hybrid. There's lots of hybrids and variations of my six, depending on the particular industry, the project types, owner preferences. Um, everybody's tried to make them work as best as they can. And even then, once the delivery method selection, you still have to determine how contractors are procured, whether it's best value, low bid, a negotiated contract, and then the contract format. For example, whether you're using a lump sum or fixed cost, cost plus fee, guaranteed maximum price, target cost, um, there's permutations upon permutations of the basic six. Well, I think you're, you're, you're drawing an important point there, which is I think a lot of times you know, people mix uh, these different um, elements together when, when they're talking about delivery methods. They're really lumping things together. So the, you know, the, the general delivery method with the contract method, you know, best value, low bid, negotiated, et cetera, and, and the format in terms of fixed cost or, or uh, cost plus, et cetera. And I think, I think that, that, that lends to confusion, you know, when people are kind of, they, they mush all, all three of those things together when really they're, you know, they, they obviously go together, but they're three distinct um, elements of, of the contracting process. Yeah. Um, you know, and a good example is PPP, uh, private, you know, public-private partnership. Right where you, that's a case where you're really talking about how the entire project is delivered, including design construction, could include maintenance, operation, long-term care. Mm -hmm. But within that, you could have uh, some traditional bid, you could have CM at risk, you could have design build. So it's, it all continues to wrap itself up in a lot of different variations. Right. 
So it's, it's I guess it, you know it's really important to understand and be very clear about what you know what method you're using and and, and why and you know and and what kind of decisions you're making uh, in those other those other areas. Um, so I think that that leads pretty pretty well into talking about considerations when selecting a project delivery uh, delivery method. Um, and I think um, you know my experience you know as a consultant. Uh, you know, I've worked with a number of clients who, who frankly haven't really put a whole lot of thought into, you know, what method they were they were going to use, and uh, either kind of uh, did what, quote what we've always done, or uh, you know did did a little bit of of, uh, of investigation, but not not a whole lot of deep thinking about the implications. Um, so, in your experience, what, what what do you think are the most important things that uh, maybe particularly an owner? You know, should be thinking about uh, when it when it comes to uh, deciding on project delivery methods. And I think that's where you know my my interest and in my cheerleading is. Um, mm-hmm. I like to talk about project delivery selection like it's a toolbox. You know, we have lots of tools in the toolbox, and some are better and some are worse to do the job that you need. And almost any tool in there will eventually do the job. But really, our our job as owner is to select the one that gives us the best chance of success. Um, Brian Pratt, who was the campus architect at UC Irvine, said it in a a really nice way. Um, We need to pick the delivery method, the tool, that best suits our culture, team, and the project. So going back to your point, um, how not to select the project (laughs) delivery is, um, well, I used it last time, so I'll just use it again. Or, you know, right. it's what Joe used for his project, and it worked for him, so I'm going to use it. Or, you know, I read about it in a magazine, so let's try it. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen, about three-quarters of project delivery decisions are made before design begins, and that's really when owners are able to look at the risks associated with the project. You can weigh the advantages and disadvantages of potential delivery methods. So as owners deciding on our delivery options, we really need to ask not could we do, but what should we do? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's really important then to keep in mind four words that begin with R, which is a nice shorthand to help me remember it, that are critical for each one of the delivery methods because they're different in each option. You have the roles, the relationships, the responsibilities, and then the risk allocation between all of the parties in a project, and they all vary by different delivery methods. So once we get into that, um, you know, for public owners, the starting point is always, well, what are your laws and regulations and procurement policies allow? Because right. not all public owners are able to use every delivery method. Um, and then even if a particular method is allowed, you know, does your leadership have the understanding and support for what you do? So as an example, there's a lot of public agencies and and lay governing boards that are so wedded to price competition for purchases that anything other than traditional bid isn't going to be supported, even if you could use something. Mm. Um, You know, we have to look at the experience of your organization and your own staff in managing the delivery options and your organization's own risk tolerance. Uh, A large construction project really is no place to be learning on your job. And if your staff has only experience in traditional bid, for example, um, you you could really get into trouble. Um, We see organizations that sort of have, I'd rather litigate 
than mediate kind of attitude. You know, do you have a record of lawsuits or claims or legal projects, legal problems on past projects? Um, do you tend to attract and get contractors that have financial or other kinds of problems? And if you do, well, then let's pick a delivery type where we're able to do a little bit of pre-screening of the contractors or select delivery options that are maybe a little bit more cooperative, at least in theory. That comes with the caveat that there is no delivery system out there that can guarantee that it's absolutely free of claims or lawsuits. Right. So we try to pick one that minimizes it. Um, as I said at Maricopa, um, we had some really hard, expensive lessons when we started using CM at risk for our projects um, when we were able to move away from traditional bid. And on one of our first projects, we ended up in a pretty large claim um, in a lot of cases because we really didn't understand how it worked. So it was a, a learning curve for us. Um, you know, there, some of the delivery types have higher risk and reward exposure. And if your institution or your ownership has a low risk tolerance, or if there's a risk of having a significant failure on a project that would be unacceptable, I mean, in the public sector, everything for us ended up on the front page of the newspaper. So you really didn't want to take a whole lot of risk. Um, and again, we, we would look at some delivery methods that maybe trade some potential higher costs for more certainty or lower risk. Um, but risk doesn't go away. You know, it's only who's responsible for it and where that cost is carried. So in a lot of, case, a lot of cases, we're trying to manage risk. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we may be able to build a project for less if we use a cost plus arrangement but then there's no real certainty of the final cost until you get there versus a fixed cost bid or maybe a GMP arrangement where I'm willing to agree to a little higher cost, but I have a certainty of what my cap exposure is. Right. Um, is, is there any, the net, uh, sorry, real quick, uh, when, you, when you, you talk a lot about risk and um, I think sometimes, you know, people think about different, you know, um, methodologies as, having higher or lower risk. Um, but you know, do, you, do you see that as being really more dependent on the methodology or is there also, you know, you also describe the sort of interaction with the specific characteristics of, of an actual project, um, you know, the characteristics of, of, the, of, of the suppliers, of the, of the contractors, and even the, the owner's characteristics in, in terms of maybe uh, the level of experience, for example, that they're, that their staff have a manager. So how, how, how do you, how, when you talk about risk, how, how do you balance those different, um, uh, you, those different elements when you're making a decision? Sure. Um, and as a generalization, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of very similar risks on all different kinds of projects. There's right. schedule risk, there's cost risk, there's hidden conditions risk, there's weather risk, um, there's cost risk. And it, those risks don't substantially change with the delivery method. It really is who is going to, um, who's going to be responsible for that risk? How's it being priced and who's carrying it? So, it, you know, it, what we try to do in contracts is you try to assign risk and allocate risk to the party that's in the best position to manage it and carry it. Mm -hmm. So the, the classic example is, um, let's say a hidden condition of bad soil. You get on a project, um, you don't know 
you have some idea what's going to be in the ground once you open it. But, you know, there's a lot of cases where you just run into who knows what down there. Right. Um, you, you could allocate that risk to the contractor, but the contractor is going to have to build in some costs within their price to cover that risk, where traditionally in contracts, um, the owner will carry that risk with a contingency in their contract. And if something comes up as an unforeseen condition, you make the adjustment that way. So it's it's really who's shifting the risk and managing it. It's not, I don't really think it's a, a situation where you're creating a whole bunch of new risks or eliminating a whole bunch of risks on a project depending right. on the delivery method. Right. Well, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I, I know, yeah, my experience, I think I, I, I've seen a lot of cases where the risks were not assigned to the most logical uh, party or the party that was in the best position to manage or mitigate. Um, you know, and that, that really, though, to your point, that, that happened across all kinds of different delivery methods. It wasn't, you know, oh, it's all design build. You always end up allocating, you know, too much risk on, on the contractor, you know, architect, you know, entity. That's not, that's not, a, you know, the case or, or, you know, with CM at risk, it all ends up falling on the owner. Those are, I, I agree. I think there's um. Uh, you, you've got to look at each situation and understand understand the risks, and then really really think about who's in the best position to uh, to manage them, um, and to try to try to allocate the, the risk uh, accordingly. If that makes sense. Um, yep. So so what are some of the uh, what are some of the most common things that you've seen go awry um, that you would say were more that were kind of that were that were mostly related to you know a mismatch or or a, or a, a poor decision. Uh, or a poor application of a delivery method for a project. I'm sure you, I'm sure you've seen some interesting things in in, in your experience. Um, not only seen them, but experienced them. <laughs> uh, you know, the the, the 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 difficulty is sort of that um, the the problems based on the delivery system are pretty much baked into the project once you've once you've made your decision on the delivery right. method because you shape how you manage the project team you shape how you procure the project team how you what all those relationships and responsibilities and risks are based on um, on the delivery method you know, so even our best run projects are tough and for experienced people and they have chaos and conflict and all kinds of other things that are come up even in the best run projects. So you can kind of say, well, why are we going to add to this by not selecting um, the better option? And because mm -hmm. each one of the delivery methods fundamentally changes um, any one of those four R's between the party, if, if you're not familiar and you don't understand how those R's work in your delivery process, there's going to be problems. So, for example, if you're not familiar with design build, but you pick design build, um, maybe you didn't understand that you lose the traditional role of the architect working on behalf of the owner and representing the owner. You know, right. There's no longer really offering the same protection. And as an owner, you end up doing a final pay application, you end up um, doing evaluations of construction quality, you end up doing shop drawing review, all those things that the architect used to do for you. Right. Um, and CM at risk, 
the, the typical CM contract is an actual cost contract, and it either is a pure cost plus fee or it might have a guaranteed maximum price on it, but you really lose the protection of a stipulated price. And um, we've done CM projects where I'll get a pay application that's an inch or an inch and a half thick because every screw, nut, and bolt is being charged to the project along with four new tires for the superintendent's truck and painting the job site trailer. And you have to go through and it becomes the owner's responsibility of saying, you know what, that's just not an appropriate cost. Um, if you're using CM advisor or multi-prime, you know, the pitch is, well, you're going to save money by not having the general contractor's overhead. Well, right. you know, that's that's a lot of times money pretty well spent because that general contractor is becoming responsible for managing managing the, the subcontractor's work and filling in the gaps between them. And in CMA, your, your CM advisor may help you, but ultimately the owner now has assumed the responsibility for those gaps. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's really those not full understandings of what you're undertaking if you don't really understand or aren't experienced in the delivery type you're going to select. Well, yeah, I think you're, you're making, yeah, that's a, a great illustration of how, you know, the, the role and the relationship and, and the responsibility and risk interact. Um, and, you know, ch- changing your delivery method doesn't eliminate the need for a role. So, so in other words, so someone has to fulfill that, that role of coordinating uh, subcontractors and subtrades and, and, you know, ensuring that there's no scope gaps, uh, you know, and, and run, running a good scope matrix to make sure nothing's falling through the cracks. Um, you know, and so it's either, you know, a GC in one case or may, or it may fall on the owner. But, you know, if the owner understands that and is, is prepared to, to manage that, great. But if, the, if, they're, if they're not, obviously that you, you've just, you know, opened up a can of worms, um, that it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a challenge. Um, well, what, what are some, what's, what do you think are some of the most common things that you've, you've seen where just, just basic, um, typical, uh, decisions that are made that, that are, that are, that, that are poor as it relates to delivery methods and, and how, how, uh, owners, uh, manage projects. You know, again, I think it's it's a case of of not really understanding what you're getting into when you've selected something based on what your neighbor or what you know the the institution did down the road. Um, and I'll use an example. Um, you know, design build is promoted certainly by. DBA Design Build Institute Association, mm-hmm. and it's yep. a it's a really good process for certain types of projects and and certain directions. Um, design Build, for example, really is efficient in time. You use it to accelerate time. Um, we we sort of liken it to. Uh, you know, you, if you use, if you want a speedboat on a project, you use design build. But at the same time, higher ed institutions are all about participation. They're all about input. Right. They're all they're all about reviews. And we tried design build a couple of times, and found it was like throwing a big anchor over the side of the speedboat. That it was just <laughs> dragging it along. Um, there really wasn't an advantage of us moving the project along real quickly because I had 
two opening dates for the year. I had a fall semester and spring semester. So having a project, you know, that I could accelerate to finish in June instead of August didn't really buy me anything. Right. Um, similarly, we had a problem, and this goes back to what is who's assuming the risk for for errors and omissions. Well, in design right. build, the design build team to some extent. Um, has assumed that risk. I'm not, as an owner, I'm not going to see a change order for errors and omissions. That doesn't mean they went away. It just means that the pricing's included in the design build cost. But where we ran into a problem is we had uh, a bad design on the air conditioning system. And in our discussion with the design build contractor, um, we had told him it wasn't going to work. The design build contractor insisted that he was going to stand by the design and stand by his engineers. And we finally ended up saying, all right, you know what, we're going to fix it and we'll come back and fight about it later. We're in another delivery method and, you know, see him at risk where I get a lot of the benefit of quick delivery, but I own the contracts on both the contractor and the architect. I have a little representation there and a little bit more direct obligation. So that's, you know, that's a lot of the nitty gritty you get into um, where you've got a miss, you know, it's a good example of where I had a mismatch of a delivery method that really just didn't work for our institution. Most of the time we ended up with CM at risk, which worked just fine for us and gave me 90% of the advantages of design build. Right. I think that's that's a great point about you know essentially making sure you consider uh, the culture of the organization that you're that you're in you know before you just sort of go down a path and you know you, you describe you in higher ed you know culturally it doesn't really align with the value of design build um, you know because of the need for participation and getting user groups involved and and uh, you know decision making uh, being maybe a little bit more uh, participative or, or complex than other organizations and so. You know, and also the, you know, the, what, what's the value of, of June versus August, uh, I think is a, another good, very practical, <laughs> very practical consideration. Um, we all, all, yeah. and, and, at the, and at the same time, you know, that's a good example of you need to pick the project, not just the institution, because the right. higher ed, right. yeah, if we're doing a classroom or a science lab building, which is, you know, I hate to say it, fairly run of the mill for us yeah. in higher ed. CM at risk might be good, but there's a lot of higher ed institutions that are doing research research buildings, really, really advanced research buildings, where, and they're on a tight schedule, particularly if, if the work is being funded through grants and you have a right. deadline of getting grants and researchers in. And that's a perfect situation where the same institution that design build won't work for for a classroom building might very well and properly pick design build for this high-end research building. So it's again an example of picking the right delivery method based on the project and not, you know, not necessarily assuming that the same delivery method is going to work best for every one of your projects. Right. I think in that case, then you also, I assume, you know, knowing your knowing your organization the way you do. Uh, you're going to probably set up uh, some kind of a process for ensuring that decision making doesn't hold up, you know, the project. But, so you've got to you, you develop an a, you know an effective and efficient process for you know feedback and decision making uh, through the university that that maybe you, you do beforehand. 
Um, that's correct. Uh, and yeah. some institutions have formalized it. Some states yeah. have formalized it where if you're going to use something other than traditional bid, you really have to go through a written justification and analysis. Right. We were maybe a little less formal with it. We still had kind of a gut check. Uh, yeah. checklist of four or five things that we would consider on a for our particular project whether we were going to use um, the traditional bid which we still tried to use because we have a lot of taxpaying contractors in our community or whether we would do cm at risk and you know, the the project that i might take um, to see them at risk today because our local industry is really busy and all the good contractors are doing negotiated work Mm. When things are slower, I may take that same contract out for design build because I've got, you know, a better than even chance of getting a really good contractor on on a traditional bid because he's interested in keeping his staff together. So, lots of different inputs, um, and you just need to really carefully look. And I can't stress it enough: you need to really look at each project and see what's the best thing for that project at the time you're doing it. Right. And so you would you would look at that that four R framework that you talked about with you know role relationship responsibility and, and risk allocation. You you would look at those those elements for each project and uh, you know not necessarily come up with the same answer you know you know every time because you're you're looking at the unique characteristics uh, not just of your organization but you made you brought up a great point there. Um, what's available in terms of the local supply? Um, and what what are the the local supply dynamics? And you know, to your point, you 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 know in a, in a very busy or a tight market, you may take a different approach than in, in a, a a market that's slowed down, where you've you've got a you know a totally uh, different supply situation. Uh, yeah, and it's you know it's the understanding of how those four R's interact in each of the delivery type. Right. So, for example, if we're going through a project. Um, I might say, well, is the project schedule critical? If I've got to absolutely make a certain date, I'm going to select a delivery method that gives me a little bit more control over the scheduling. Or, you know, in some industries, you think of semiconductors or pharmaceuticals where getting to market first is much more important than what the final cost is. Well, you're not going to use a traditional bid there. You're going to use something that can really fly through construction. you know, if we have projects that had technical complexity and it would benefit from my hiring a contractor that had experience doing science labs or, or right. you know, medical settings, um, I would probably, you know, select a method that enabled me to select the contractor by their qualifications and experience. Where if I'm just doing a classroom and office building, you know, there's a lot of contractors that do that. Um, yeah. We often did we often did multiple phase projects where we would do a new building and then users would move into the new building and we'd come in and remodel behind them. And it was really useful for us to have a single contractor be selected that could be responsible from end to end for coordination and, and cost certainty. And it was really tough to do um, in a bid. We talked about market conditions. We talked about even... Um, my users' recent experience in tolerance, risk tolerance. We had uh, an example at one of our colleges where we had, you know, frankly, a, a relatively small project to do. And one of the most recent projects we'd done at that campus had really been a mess. And it, it ended up in a near termination of a contractor. And while we normally would have bid 
um, a, this small project, we really couldn't afford to have another failure so soon over there. So we selected CM at risk uh, for the project, even though it generally would have been too small, uh, too small a project to use for the delivery method. Right. That goes sort of to the psychology and what you needed to do to, to fit your users' needs and, and comfort level. So it's, it's not always just on our project management staff of what's going to make us feel good. Right, right. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, before we wrap up, what, you know, what one thing or what one or two things would you, uh, would you want to give as advice uh, to others that are out there that are, that are facing these decisions you know, uh, in, their, in their day-to-day uh, work environment? Um, there's a couple of things that, you know, first, the, no delivery methods of panacea. There, there's yeah. not a delivery method out there that's going to guarantee there are no change orders or that there's <laughs> no litigation or no claims. Um, there are some that do better jobs than others, but there's not one that's going to absolutely guarantee it. So, you know, if you, if, if you're picking a delivery method because you think there's not going to be any change orders, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, we, we really advise owners to make sure the budget contains uh, adequate controlled contingency funds to cover all of those oopses and oh my's that are going to come up regardless of your delivery. Um, we, we tell you, don't, you know, don't go looking over the fence. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing or what the experts and the proselytizers are recommending is the very best solution for every project. you got to figure out what's right for you your project, your institution. Um, everybody has different experience. They have different risk tolerance, different staff, and a different project. So please, you know, do the right thing for your project and organization. And in general, you need to be fair, you need to be reasonable, and you certainly need to be flexible. Excellent. Well, Arlen, thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you today. I really appreciate you dropping in and, and uh, sharing some of your, your expertise and experience uh, with the Built Revolution audience. And uh, I will uh, look forward to some uh, future conversations uh, with you. That sounds great, Clark. I was very happy to talk with you today. Excellent. Thank you. And those of you uh, listening, thank you for uh, stopping by the Built Revolution podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed today's discussion You're with Arlen, Arlen Solichek, a registered architect and recently, uh, most recently retired as Associate Vice Chancellor for Capital Planning at Maricopa Community College District in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, my name is Clark Ellis. I'm a principal with Continuum Advisory Group. And until next time, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution pod brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod or email us at hello at builtrevolutionpod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.